Well, at the end of verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus is entering a part of his life that is going to bring great grief but in time, in a short time, great joy. But we see the posture going into John 13, the portion of Scripture where we see the 12 disciples gathered around Jesus. We see Jesus serving them by washing their feet. And what's he doing in the final hours with those that he loves? He's loving them well, and he's loving them to the end. Just looking over the, the passage over the last couple weeks, one thing that really stuck out to me was that he washed Peter's feet and he washed Judas's feet. He could have not invited Judas to that intimate time with the other disciples. Knowing that Peter was going to deny him three times, he could have not invited Peter and had this kind of bitter edge in his spirit towards either one of those guys. But what does Jesus do with both of them? He loves them well to the end with this persevering and unconditional love that's so uncommon and so different than the world that we live in. The world that we live in is rarely marked with that sort of attitude where we're gonna love people so deeply, yet so humbly, even if they wrong us. The world that we live in is, is far different than that. We typically don't love people well to the end. For example, people, people move away sometimes, right? And we have people in our lives that we've been close with and we've enjoyed time with them and then they move away. We have great intention to stay in touch and to continue loving them and supporting them and encouraging them. And so even in conversation with the people as they leave, right, we're saying, oh, can't wait to hear how things are going there. Can't wait to chat with you in a couple months, hear how it's going. But how many times do we say that sort of thing and then we're interacting with our spouse or somebody else and we're like, wow, I, I haven't talked to them in forever. Well, I don't even know if I've talked to them since they left. And we have this good intention to love people well and to love them to the end, but many times there's no follow through. Other times we, we have good relationship with people and then conflict comes up. Maybe they say or do something to hurt you. Or on the flip, maybe you say or do something to hurt them and it creates this awkward tension and you don't know what to do about that awkward tension with this person that you've been friends with maybe for years. And then rather than working through that conflict, a lot of times we'll just hope that time is gonna heal it or we just don't ever bring it up, and maybe we let that friendship die because we'll say, oh, well, you know what that person did to me. You know what they said about me. And we don't repair, and we let the friendship go on. Other times, people make a lifestyle choice that we might not agree with. Maybe they were following after Christ, running hard after Christ, sharing the gospel with people, loving people well around them, and then they just out of the blue say, you know what, I don't really know if I believe this anymore. Maybe some crisis happens in their world and then they start to live out of a, a different belief system. 
And even though we have good intention to love them well, like Jesus would love them, when we see that their value system has changed, it's hard for us to continue that friendship. And even though we have great thought to love them the same, because of that value difference, we, we kind of let them go. Maybe it's a, they, they have a, a change in what they identify as sexually. They have a change in where they're going in life. And either you don't respect that or you don't approve of that theologically. And because you don't have this deep, unconditional love for them, you begin to let them go. And I think many times that's how we work in relationship outside the church, and that's how we work in our relationships within the church. Drama, a lack of intentionality, and a lack of compassion often kill the longevity of the relationships in our life, and, and we don't love people well in the present, let alone to the end, to the end of our lives, to the end of their lives. We don't love, we don't live in a world that washes people's feet. We don't live in a world that has the hard conversations that we need to have. And so this morning, as we're going into John 13, I think we're going to be seeing something unique and, and uncommon in Jesus. As he's interacting with these 12 men, two of them who wrong him greatly, he still washes their feet. And so this morning, as we go through John 13... We're going to see how we can love like Jesus to the end. How we can have this love, this compassion, this unconditional care for the people in our lives around us in the same way that Jesus does. So the driving question we're going to be asking is, how do we love like Jesus to the end? There's going to be three points that will help answer that. Number one, we let the love of Jesus wash us clean. Secondly, we see the example that Jesus sets and we hear his call to love. And thirdly, we actually see and serve the people at our table. And the hope would be that through, through watching Jesus love all the people that were at his table in the final hours of his life, that we would see that he can have that compassion. And if we are in Christ, we can have that sort of compassion for the people around us as well and love them well, not only in the present, but to the end. And so I'm going to pray for us and we're going to begin to work through this passage together. And so Lord, I just thank you for your word. It's always a guide. Every time we open it, Lord, it can provide wisdom and clarity for the way that we live life because it gives us more understanding of who you are. It also gives understanding of our great need for you, Lord. And so God, I just pray that in the next few minutes we would be able to see and learn from your example 2,000 years ago, God so that we could have that same sort of love and compassion as you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first way that we can learn to love people well and love them to the end is through beginning this interior work where we allow Jesus to wash us clean. And we're going to see this in the first 11 verses of John 13. And so I'm going to read that for us as we look at what it looks like to love like Jesus. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. There's two aspects of washing that we can see going on in the text here. The first one that we see is in verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What Jesus is communicating to Peter is that, Peter, if I don't perform this sacred cleansing, if I'm not this sacred cleansing for you, you're never going to have share or part or portion with me. And so Peter, if you want to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, you're not going to be able to do that in love through the Spirit of God if you're not first washed by me. And so Jesus is talking about this full washing and this full cleansing that Peter had to experience. This full washing is also referenced in verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. So what Jesus is helping Peter see is is saying like, okay, Peter, you've been walking with me for a while. You've surrendered your life to me. I've sought you out. I've called you to be mine, and you've followed. And through faith, he's clarifying, Peter, you have been washed by me. And so he's showing that there is this full washing that you've experienced. At the same time, though, there's a second aspect of washing that we see going on in the text here. It's the foot washing. The foot washing we see in verse 10 where it says, The one who's bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet. And so Jesus is showing him this symbol of washing his feet. If you can imagine in your mind's either they're gathered in the room and Peter's kind of calling him out like, Wait, do you really want to wash my feet? Like I should be washing yours. And Jesus tells him, Like, really, you need me to wash you. Apart from me, you're not going to be clean. Apart from me, you're not going to be on my mission. And so in this moment, he's clarifying for Peter that he's had this full cleansing, but also that there would need to be this ongoing cleansing in his life as well through the Spirit. As a verse 10, Jesus shows Peter his need for this full cleansing that he's already had, but this ongoing cleansing of the feet and the ongoing cleansing 
representing the daily grace that we can receive from the Lord through the support of the Spirit. I think 1 John 1, 7 to 9 does a good job of clarifying what this full washing is. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so in order for somebody to be able to go into the world, to love the world with the same sort of love of God, they first have to experience this full washing, the blood of Christ covering the sin of the world. And so Peter has experienced this, but Jesus is also, through washing his feet in this moment, showing him, you're going to continue to need this washing through the presence of the Spirit in your life. After I go, I'm sending one to be with you. And the Spirit is who washes us with his comfort. The Spirit is who offers us peace when life feels like it's at war. And so our ability to love beyond ourselves begins with this interior work of Jesus washing us clean. Our ability to love is contingent upon God's love for us and our love for God. And this is something that Peter himself eventually understands and figures out because later on in Peter, in 1 Peter, we, we read great words coming from him to the churches that he was writing. And so in 1 Peter 4, Peter's writing and says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I bet as Peter's writing that passage years later, he's reflecting on Jesus having washed his feet, Jesus having washed him clean, a man who was walking in darkness, a man who was just living as a fisherman, thinking this is what all that life is about. Jesus seeks him out, cleanses him, And what does Peter write years later? But this truth of you have to experience God's gift, God's gift of love. And as you experience that, you then can share and display the love to the world around you. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So one thing that we have to be asking ourselves as we look at this story of Peter interacting with Jesus is have we experienced that washing? Have we experienced the cleansing blood of Christ? Are we walking in a relationship with God because we've come before him confessing our sin and crying out in need for him? And even beyond that, are you tapping in to that daily washing that we get to experience where Christ doesn't just serve us once on the cross, but Christ continues to serve us and encourage us and support us and lead us and guide us through the spirit that he gives.
And so our ability to love the people around us, to love them well, to love them to the end, begins with that interior work of Jesus cleansing us. The second way that we can learn to love well and love people to the end from Jesus' example and hearing his call to love, and we can see this in verses 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. After Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he, he puts words to what he's done for them. He says, you, you call me teacher, you're right in doing that. You call me Lord, you're right in doing that. What does he say in verse 15? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. And so they'd, they'd been following him for the last three years. They've been seeking him out as their teacher. They've been bowing down to him as Lord. But he's also helping them see I am also your example, your model to look at for what love looks like in this broken world. Jesus is saying this thing of love that you've noticed from me, where I've fed you, where I've served you, where I've encouraged you. This is your model and example for what you guys get to experience in a relationship with God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, this is also what I'm gonna ask you to do because I am Lord, because I am the authority. And so we see Jesus' example of love before his disciples here, but we also see his command, taking that authority to say, and this is what you need to do as well. We see that in verse 15. He says, you also should do just as I have done to you. We see this in verse 17. If you know, which means behold, if you behold all these things that you've experienced, if you behold these things that you know about me, blessed are you if you do them. If you make these things happen through my support, through my cleansing, you will be blessed. And so he's helping them see, I'm your example and I'm also your authority calling you in to the same sort of lifestyle. The love that you've experienced is the love that you're to be multiplying in the relationships that you're in or the relationships that you will be in or the relationships that you could be in. And so as he's communicating this at the Last Supper, I can't help but think, they're, they're thinking through all the different ways that he's loved them in the past, all the different ways that he's loved other people, the examples that he set with the woman at the well. There's been so many different ways that they had witnessed Jesus loving people well around him. The paralyzed man at the pool, his conversations with Nicodemus, his conversations with Zacchaeus, the compassion that he had as he looked over Jerusalem. 
before his triumphal entry, he comes to the top of a hill and he sees Jerusalem and he weeps. And so as Jesus is calling the disciples here, look at my example and do what I've done. They're reflecting on how he has done so much for us, hasn't he? He has cleansed us and he has called us into this same love. And so following Jesus involves not only our own interior work of being washed in the blood, but it's also looking to Jesus as our example and hearing his call. Before we head into the the third and final point, there's going to be a couple of pictures up on the screen to help us understand the context a little bit more. And so up there right now is kind of the classic painting. I can't remember who it's by. Is it Da Vinci? Okay, by Da Vinci, this painting long ago looks great. Got this nice ceiling vaulted, you know, the light coming in the windows, real moody. There's even like an altar in front of Jesus, or I think that's what that is, which in the big scheme of things, good painting. But scholars would say that this isn't as accurate as maybe da Vinci would have hoped. And so the next picture shows likely what they would have been gathered around. This table was a triclinium, if I'm saying that right. And this was a low-to-the-ground table. There were no chairs there in a U-shape. And the way that they would eat with one another, converse with one another, share formal meal with one another, would be through leaning on one another. And so at this time, the, the room probably doesn't have a ton of light coming in. It's probably dark. Just imagine a dark little setting where Jesus knows this is the last interactions that he's going to be having with a lot of these guys before his death. Gathered around that table, Jesus has just served them. He's played the the role of a host. He's played the role of their servant. And let's read the last and final verses of this text and see just how aware and compassionate and loving Jesus is with his disciples. So we're going to read 21 to 38 and, and keep that picture in your mind's eye as we go through this. It says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked to one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, which was John, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need to for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. 
when he, that's Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow after. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I think an important observation to notice as Jesus is gathered around this little table with his friends of old is that he was troubled in spirit. In verse 21, it says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified. Troubled in the original text there would mean stirred, agitated. He's stirred in his heart as he's at the setting, at the table, looking at the people around him, knowing that he's about to go and die. He has this agitation within him, in his soul. And then Jesus allowed the temperature in the room and the hours of what was about to happen ahead of him, he let that move him to action. He saw the brokenness in the room and it didn't sit well within him. And he let it move him. Jesus saw the troubling moments that was here. He saw what was going on. He knew that Judas was needing to go. He knew that Peter was going to be denying him. And he knew that the disciples were going to be grieving. Lord, where are you? What do we do? And he's in this moment with them at the table. And he's looking around. And he sees and notices all of them. In verse 27, we see him interacting with Judas. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus didn't outright approve what was happening here, but he acknowledged, okay, Judas, I know what's going on here, and you need to go. Again, he invited Judas to be at this meal. It could have been very easy for him to just not have him on the invitation list, right? But he washes Judas' feet. He sees him, he acknowledges him, and he even sends him knowing that this is part of God's divine plan. We see him interacting with the disciples as a whole in verse 35. In verse 35, he says to them, gathered around this table, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's giving them their final charge. They're not just ending their time together without talking about what's going on. And what they're going to need to do. He passes the baton. He interacts with Peter in verse 38. Will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus knows that Peter, in fear, is going to deny even knowing Christ. But Jesus has him there. He interacts with him. He loves him. He speaks with him. He acknowledges the truth. So Jesus sees all the people at his table. He serves them and he speaks to them. And how many times do we fail to do that? We have the people in our world, in our social sphere around us, and they're at our table of life, and we have chance and opportunity to love them in this way, to love them in that way, to share the truth that is within us, to help repair the conflict that we've had. We have opportunities right in front of us. How many times do we sense brokenness between people but we ignore it and let them work through it? How many times do we have brokenness with somebody else and we just hope that time is gonna heal it? How many times do we notice people at our table but just look past them? And how many times are we troubled in spirit like Jesus, but we lash out in anger or we lash out with unhelpful comments rather than loving them? And so what we see in Jesus at this table, the Last Supper, is him seeing and serving and loving and speaking with the people around him that he loved. In verse 34, Jesus gives a new commandment. Verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. This wasn't a new commandment in word per se, but it was a new commandment in form. The people of Israel had been told to love one another for centuries. But the love that Jesus is modeling here is this come and die sort of love. Where he's gonna die to the awkwardness of conversations and he's gonna approach those people He's going to go to the cross, bear the weight of their sin so that they can have life. So Jesus sets the pace and brings them this new commandment to love others in the same way that Jesus had loved them. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we have compassion on people in our life? The people that are sitting at our table, do we have compassion for them? doesn't matter if the, the table we're talking about is your workplace, the table we're talking about is your home, people from years ago, people within the church, people that used to be in the church. What do we see Jesus doing but calling us to love people well and love them to the end, to be troubled in spirit and let that emotion and compassion for other people drive us to interact with them? Do we see the brokenness among us, around us, between us, and do something? Or do we sit and watch and choose not to love to the end? So are you loving the people at your table, or are you at odds with them? Up on the screen, there's going to be a little bit of a graphic, and hopefully I can explain it concisely. But, but basically, the premise here is the longer the time is that we're at odds with somebody, the less 
if we're in sin, the less we have a desire to love them. Okay, and so up there you can see there's an incident that happens. We'll just run a scenario out. So you have a friend and things are going well. Everything's fine. Then there's some incident. They tell you news that you don't approve of. And you're like, what? Like, that's not okay. Now leads us to a place of anger. Not anger because we're people of rage, but anger because we have sadness because we think that the direction that they're going is not of God. Or we're sad that the relationship is gonna change dynamics now. And so that anger then leads to some inner conflict, which then probably manifests to some outer conflict. Maybe you're talking to them again or talking to other people about them. And then a lot of times it leads us to this place of this final plea where it's like, all right, I just need to go talk to them, need to to tell them what they need to hear. I need to show them that I really love them, that I care about them. And in this ultimate place with this desire to love them, if they don't hear or see where we're coming from, It's very easy for us to no longer have a desire to love. And we get on the slippery slope of just like, you know what? I tried to bring this up with them, and it just didn't go well. Or I brought it up with them, and it went okay, but they're staying on that path, and now I don't want to interact with them. And then we try to make some sort of shallow repair to keep the relationship in existence. But over time... It leads to cynicism, judgment about the individual, about the circumstance. And if we're not careful, we get to a place of a calloused heart. And so this morning, the question that we have to be asking ourselves is, do we have this love to the end sort of idea that Jesus modeled and talked about? Or does this happen in the relationships in our life? Because this sermon was perfect for me. Because I can think of multiple relationships in my life where I have let this happen. Where I am cynical about the individual. Cynical about the direction that they're going. And as I have that cynicism, it also turns off my heart to them. And I do not love them well or speak with them at all. And what Jesus is doing in this chapter, he is showing that we are to love the people that are at our table. Even if some of those people might deny even knowing us. Even if some of those people have maybe betrayed us. And what an example we see in Christ Love is the badge that disciples of Christ are to wear everywhere that we go. But so many times we get caught up with a calloused heart and we just let those relationships die. And I'm not here to say that like every relationship that you've ever had needs to be in perfect repair at all the time or else you're in huge sin. Sometimes there are reasons to not be in relationship with people. But the principle is Jesus is calling us to love other people well and love them to the end where we can. It was a desperate love that Jesus had for us that took him to the cross to pave a way for us to be forgiven. This morning, have you let Jesus wash you clean of your sin, of your brokenness? This morning, the text could be calling you into a new relationship with God. If you have been washed clean, are you embracing Jesus' example and call to love? God's calling us to see and serve those who are among us within our church so that we can be a light to the community around us. So maybe that means you're going to get a little bit more involved in your community group, figure out how to love people well in that setting. Maybe it means you're going to you know, meet with one of those deacons who are on the path to getting installed 
and you're going to say, you know what, I want to grow at loving people in this city. What are some ways we could do that? And you're going to brainstorm with them, and you're going to spend some time loving people in this city. What's the thing that God's calling you to this morning? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just uh, thank you for the grace that you were able to show in that setting at the meal 2,000 years ago, God. And I pray that we would be able to have that grace and compassion within us to care for the watching world around us, God. There's a lot of ways that we can live, and our tendency, God, is to get caught up in the ways of the world. And the world doesn't love people well, nor does it love people to the end, God. And I just ask that you would help us to understand more, just a little bit more today, how to be faithful in loving the community of Anthem Church, in loving our families, and loving our spouses, and loving our children, and loving the people in our workplaces, at school, in the dorms, wherever we go, God. Would you gift us with his understanding of how to have that sort of unconditional, undying love that you gave for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.